Hi, I'm Joanna Roach, and you're listening to The Nature of Nantucket. I am here with Jason Finger, who is our curator and chief historian and deputy director. So we're really thrilled to um, have her back so that we can talk a little bit about what exciting program she has coming up for this summer. Hi, Jason. Hello. Glad to chat with you about this. I'm looking forward to hearing what you've got planned. I know that you have some walks. So let's start there because I know that one of them is coming up soon. Yes. Um, So we have a couple of different things. So there's one walk that I lead that's called the Daring Daughters of Nantucket Island. Um, I believe actually this might be uh, too late for this podcast, but it's going to happen on May 14th. But then I will have two more in September on the 9th and the 17th. And it's a walking tour that starts up here at the Mariah Mitchell Association. I talk a little bit about Mariah, but then I talk about a lot of the other women um, and makes uh, who lived on Nantucket Um, some of whom would influence Mariah, and talk about um, kind of the factors that allowed um, or supported women in their independence on Nantucket um, throughout history. So we go into the early, from the 1700s into the early 1900s. Um, So it's, it's a fun walk. And then I have another walk that I created many years ago with the Nantucket Historical Association's uh, education uh, director at the time. Kim McRae, and it's called the Four Centuries, uh, Four Centuries, it's a Four Centuries Walking Architecture Tour, and um, Nantucket Preservation Trust is also a part of it, so it's a fun um, kind of collaboration, and uh, we start at the oldest house, and we talk about the development of architecture based on um, kind of what's going on inside and immediately around, it's kind of domestic architecture, Um, and how how the neighborhoods evolved over time. So we start in the late 1600s, the oldest house, and we wind up at Hadwin House um, and the Mitchell House is in there and a couple of other sites. And it's fun because we um, have a conversation and it's, it's more fun when people interact, you know, interact and ask a lot of questions. But we kind of talk about, again, how neighborhoods evolved, how they changed, why they changed, what was there. We have some historic photographs um, and just kind of other little interesting tidbits that pop up. And we always get a a really large crowd for that, sometimes a little too large, but (laughs) but uh, it's fun. And then we kind of walk and talk at the same time. So we break up into groups. And that's about both of those walks. The Daring Daughters and the Four Centuries are about uh, two hours in time. Is, and those, the fourth century walk is June 4th, September 10th, and October 1st this year. We just had one last Saturday, but we had to cancel it due to the due obvious reason. Yeah. And then I have another kind of workshop that's not a walk um, that uh, some people might find interesting. And it's a stone monument conservation class that I've probably been doing for about a dozen or so years in tandem or in in concert with the Prospect Hill Cemetery's historian, um, uh, Paula Lundy-Levy. And uh, I started this years ago when we did the conservation of Mariah Mitchell's family gravestones. That's what stone monuments are. It's a kind of different way of of, of referring to them. And we uh, taught people how to properly conserve them. I was working with a conservator at the time here at the Mitchell House, and one of her other things was stone conservation. So we said, wouldn't it be fun if we did this? And lo and behold, it's taken off. So I've been doing it once a a summer. Um, People kind of call me to register, and I take them up, and we pick a stone, which I've already tested. And I teach them how to properly take care of historic um, gravestones. So it's a certain way of cleaning them, 
um, a certain material that's used to clean them so that you don't do damage to the stone, um, but also teaching them about checking them to make sure that they're stable enough to clean them. Um, and it's fun because it also, we talk about kind of a little bit about the person um, who's buried there and also um, the different lichens and mosses on it. Um, and then also what it reveals, people were always kind of surprised by how kind of overgrown they appear and how you can't read anything. And then by the time you're finished, you can uh, you can read it. So we've done a lot. I even did a program with the Girl Scout years ago when we did some of the veterans um, that are who are near the columbarium. We cleaned their stones as well. And I have more if you'd like to hear more. Yes. Tell okay. me. All right. So then um, some kind of more family oriented things. Um, the stone conservation and the walking tours are not probably more teenagers could participate, but not small children. But we have the Family Sailors Valentines. That's June 27th and July 18th. And families can sign up for that. And they work with me. Um, we talk a little bit about Mariah and her father and how they played a role in whaling with rating of the chronometers. And then we work on making our own kind of, not Sailors Valentines, like you think of historic Sailors Valentines, but kind of functional things. So picture frames or boxes and I have little boxes that look like treasure boxes which is very exciting to some of the younger set because they think of all the different treasures they can put in the box and that's always fun and we do that outside on the picnic tables um, if it's nice then we have story time with the Mitchells um, that's um, for younger children maybe three to five years old um, and all of the programs that we do with children um, for these family programs require a, a parent or an adult to stay with them but the story time is kind of doing a reading a book about Mariah or something to do with uh, astronomy. And then they get a little tour of the Mitchell house. So it's kind of uh, geared towards kind of being an introduction to a historic house museum for them. And then we do a little activity that's related to what we read about, whether it's about Mariah or weather or something like that. And then of course we have our junior historians, which is a week long class once in July. And then again, in August, we still have, I think we still have some openings in August and that is kind of taking a step back in time and learning about Mariah. Uh, it's limited to five children ages seven to 11. And they are here at the Mitchell House and they do little walking tours and they do all kinds of activities from making Sailor's Valentines to scrimshaw to tinsmithing, which Mariah's uncle was a tinsmith. So we have a full slate and it's either myself who's teaching the classes or our intern who is here in the summertime who works at the Mitchell House. Wow, all that sounds very exciting. So tell me, I've got questions now, right? Okay. So um, the the daring daughters of Nantucket, mm -hmm. who who are they? Oh, there's all sorts of, of people in there. So Mariah and her sisters are in there. The Reverend Phoebe Coffin Hannaford, I don't know how much I'm supposed to reveal. Um, Anna Gardner is in there. Gertrude King. Um, who else? Mary Coffin Starbuck. Uh, Eliza Starbuck Barney, um, the ladies of quote unquote Petticoat Row, um, and, and also just kind of women in general. So maybe not specifics, but getting people to understand what was happening um, within houses. So like all the, you know, a lot of women didn't necessarily have a shop downtown, but they might run a shop out of their front sitting room um, and kind of how that made between that and all the other activities um, in a neighborhood made these neighborhoods kind of like they were almost like little villages. So you might have a cobbler and a cooper and a, a 
carpentry shop or a whaleboat building shop, um, lots of different things going on within within each of those areas. So Nantucket has a, a great tradition of really quite amazing women who are heavily influenced by Quakerism, but also the place in which they lived um, to do things here, but then also to go off island and to, to influence um, the place of women in society elsewhere in America at the time. Okay. And what about the four, I'm going to struggle with the four, it's not the four freedoms, but what did, what did you the call that? Four centuries. Yes. Four centuries. Freedoms, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that runs the gamut. You know, it, it also depends on, uh, because it's, it's a tour, but it's also a conversation. We're bouncing off one another all the time. So we're always adding new th- new little tidbits too, which is fun because especially with Nantucket Preservation Trust, as they add house histories, um, they get more information. So as we're walking, we, we see the different signs and they can talk more and more as more of those signs pop up on the houses about who lived in those houses. Um, so it's the kind of the same idea, little villages. Um, you know, there was this uh, just you know, and how, how, what it sounded like in a, in a, in an area, what it's, what it smelled like. I mean, the fact that you stand up at the oldest house and at one point you really could look all the way out into, into the, into the Harbor and the sound today, you can't because of all the trees. But when you stand up there at that, that point, that was, you know, considered pretty much a mansion when it was built and it was kind of all alone there up on that Hill. And just that expanse, as you looked down over what was or is Lily Pond, um, but then also the buildings that weren't there and the trees that weren't there. I mean, you know, you're standing up at the oldest house and you can see basically all of the church steeples um, and you can see Academy Hill School and all that wasn't there. And so what that actually looked like for the Coffin family when they were living in the house. So it's uh, it's interesting to see and to talk about just the streets, you know, that Westchester mm-hmm. Main Street, the main kind of drag. So it was, you know, along a not busy by our standards, but for then, especially as everyone was making the move into what we know as town today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what a, a little bit maybe about the history of Sailor's Valentines. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. So Sailor's Valentines were really kind of more of a, a um, souvenir, if you will, um, something that was. Um, not necessarily made by sailors on board ships, but by things that they collected or got when they went um, into the South Seas and other places where all these unique um, shells and urchins, sea urchins and other things were. Um, and they were created um, for purchase or for trade um, and bringing those back. And the sailors um, on the whale ships, you know, from Nantucket had such a far reaching uh, effect in good ways and bad ways um, all around the globe. And they were in some places the first uh, uh, Europeans who were seen by some of these people living in other places. But, you know, there's stories of of whale ships, you know, going around the horn and the captain telling, um, you know, some of the crew on or telling all the crew on the ship, you can only take so many nails out of the ship. And people look at you like, what do you mean take nails out of the ship? Because people where they were going didn't have these things for build these kinds of building technology. So they would trade nails for things that the, the people in these islands or other places had. Um, and, and the, and the captain's worry was that they wouldn't get back around the horn if he didn't have as many, as all the, as many nails as he needed in a ship to keep it together. <laughs> so there was just this, this trading, uh, tr- trading of, of items that other people wanted in, in other places that these whalemen had. Um, 
And so there's just cross-pollination. But we talk about, you know, shell art, it, it really became more, even more of an art form. So there, there are fantastic things that would be made later in the 20th century, not just in this kind of, as you think of the traditional Sailor's Valentine that's in that hexagonal box, um, but kind of, you know, tables that are totally encrusted in shells and have these um, kind of like these obelisk like statues on them with photos, you know, old um, daguerreotypes set in them. I have all kinds of um, pictures of just what people started to develop. And then, of course, it, you know, continues. People still make things for their homes, whether they decorate mirrors or things like that. And Martha Stewart got very into selling a kit where you could make a Sailor's Valentine mirror. So. Very it's fun. Cool. It's very, it's very relaxing. <laughs> yes. No, I, I think it's great. And I love that it celebrates some of the heritage of Nantucket and really connects people to a, uh, like an old sort of craft that was traditional, but yet is still um, carries meaning. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now let's talk about the gravestones. <laughs> Because I think that's so cool. And I know that there's a lot of people who are really interested in old cemeteries and who visit various places to look at old cemeteries and make rubbings and do all those things. How did you start cleaning old gravestones? The conservator who was working on the Mitchell House and I, I've, I've always had an interest in historic gravestones. I, as a young child, was given a gravestone kit for rubbings. I will have to say that gravestone rubbing is now illegal. Um, so don't do it. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yes, it is. Um, because what it does is the pressure and rubbing on the stone degrades the stone. So when you go into a cemetery, and particularly when you see all these marble stones, they don't have the um, kind of the final, I'll, for lack of a better word at the moment, skin on them that they would have. So you think about like a marble countertop or something, it has this nice, this nice, soft, but smooth layer. All these stones looked beautiful when they put them up after the person passed away. But what has happened over time is acid rain, rain, um, weed whackers, um, uh, sprinkler systems, they all over time degrade these stones. And so they don't have that layer, that final layer on them anymore. Um, when you think of like a statue or something, how smooth it is, they get, they get rather um, kind of um, pitted and bumpy. They start to crack, water gets in, freezes, it spalls. So it, it, it freezes and it pops off pieces. Birds come along and deposit on them very nicely. And that turns into mosses and lichens. Um, and what happens too over time is something occurs to the marble stones in particular, and it's referred to as sugaring. So if you rub your hand on it and you look at your hand and it looks like there's little pieces of granulated sugar on it, that's sugaring. And that's when you know not to clean the stone. So I use a specific, um, a specific, uh, it's an environmentally friendly chemical, but mosses and lichens don't like it. And um, so it shouldn't be if you like accidentally got in your mouth, it's not like, you know, it's that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's okay. And we wet down the stone. We test what I do is I go to a stone. I make sure that it's not sugaring, that it doesn't have any cracks, that it's not going to move back and forth. And then it's solid. And then I, I do a test. So I'll spray on this, um, this chemical. Um, I'm calling it a chemical, but again, it's very, it's not, it's not, it's safe. (laughs) Um, And I leave it for two weeks. 
And then I come back, I do a very discreet little spot to make sure that it's, that it does what it's supposed to do. And it's not going to hurt the stone. And then when I come back to do the cleaning and it looks like it, that, that it works, I wet the whole stone down and then I spray it with this, um, this solution. And then I use natural bristle brush brushes in a very soft way to kind of hasten the removal of the moss and lichen. So you could spray it and walk away and it would hopefully over time kill off the moss and lichen and make it peel off. But by using these brushes, you kind of help speed the process along. What you want to do in conservation is you never want anything to be like um, super shiny, wonderful, like it was when it was first made. That's not the point. Mm is the point of removing the moss and lichen so it doesn't continue to degrade the stone. And this solution actually keeps lightening. They'll still have some black marks, but it'll keep lightening it over time. And then when we're done, we just hose it all off. And it's just, it's amazing. It's, you know, you went from not being able to read somebody's name or not being able to read their birth or death dates to being able to read it again. So we've done pretty much all the Mitchell family. Um, You do need permission. If it's not your, you know, you need permission from the family and the sextant of a cemetery in order to do it. Okay. Can't just be doing it on your own unless it's your, you know, if it's your family's stones, um, you just still need to ask the sextant of a cemetery to make sure they they know you're doing it. So um, I have permission from with Paula to, to do this work. So we've done, I don't even know how many we've done now. We've probably done 20 or 30, maybe 40. Um, if you include the veterans stones that we did right before Memorial Day a few years ago with the, with the Girl Scouts. And it's quite amazing. Um, and it helps to protect them and gives them um, hopefully a little bit longer life because at some point they will be illegible um, mm-hmm. and they will just slowly degrade. But this is hopefully giving them a little more time. It's fun. It's interesting. It's interesting to learn about the people. I think some people might find it a little creepy. <laughs> um, but I think gravestones and cemeteries are a really beautiful place. If you take the time to look around and oh, I agree, I agree. The carvings on them. Um, and if you, you can pay attention and learn a lot about that time period and who the people were and, you know, how old they were when they died and what sort of things were happening during that yeah. time in the world. Yeah. Yes. The, yeah. So the worst what, when, what's your favorite, what's your favorite gravestone on Nantucket? Hmm. Sorry, I'm getting perplexed. I would have to say Mariah. Um, that's special to me um, very much. And years and years and years ago, um, one of our um, board members who um, was very active in other areas of the MMA, Joan Manley, she wanted to restore the fence that was around the Mitchell family plot. And we actually got a community preservation um, act grant probably about eight years ago or so. And we were able to restore it because I finally found a photo of what it looked like. So there's that, but you know, I think they all, they all, there's some beautiful ones in the Hadwin lot. I think some of the more painful ones are the ones where you come across like a small lamb and you know, it's a child um, who's died. Um, There's, there's some, there's some interesting ones, but there's just, I think the ones, you know, Mariah is definitely my favorite and the most important to me. But, you know, just when I, I've tried to clean a lot of the stones of a lot of the women that I've done research into, like Gertrude King, who was the first female principal of the Coffin School, and a gardener. So we've cleaned all of their stones. And to me, that's, I think, is important, too, um, to kind of give them, give them extra oomph that they, uh, oomph that they need. Um, but hopefully, you know, I'm happy, too, to, you know, have people, if they want me to come and just teach them. How to do it. 
privately not come to the class, I'm happy to happy to do that too, because it's just, it's a shame to watch them. You know, it's beautiful to see them covered in the lichen and moss because it is, they're beautiful mosses. Um, and they're really unusual. They've actually done some studies about the lichen and moss that grows on the gravestones here on Nantucket because they are unusual. They're also detrimental to stone. So it's like this hard, hard thing, but it's just a beautiful space to be in. It's very quiet. I think sometimes when people see me cleaning and they drive by, they, they you see people looking out their window, like, what is that person doing? <laughs> well, I would imagine it to be very meditative, right? It is. It is. And you're visiting them. You're yeah. spending time with somebody who maybe doesn't get a visitor. Right. And it's very honoring. I love that. I, so, I, Jason, really, thank you for taking the time to chat with me. There is never a time that we do this where I don't learn a bunch of interesting things. And I so appreciate that. And really, I also so appreciate the care that you have for Nantucket. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So if you have been listening, I'm Joanna Roach, and this is Jason Finger, and we both work at the Mariah Mitchell Association, and our podcast is called The Nature of Nantucket. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.